0: Good evening, and welcome to tonight's Shia. Um, I happen to be actually now in Edgware, in the middle of a bar mitzvah of uh, the of Ben Siyan, Ben Zalman, Reb Zalman Suda Kishliach here in Edgware. I've come out for a couple of minutes, to, um, a few minutes, to to keep the queers of the Shia. So thank you for joining us, and let's go into our, our, our question. I think some weeks ago, I shared with you my concern about the double expression here, why in Hoshanus and in sliches we have this alphabetical list of requests and all of them are single words, although you've got which is descriptive, but a double request of that bothered me and one night this past week it came to me, I was saying, Krishna Shalomita, trying to fall asleep. And I'm saying, this Rebbeinah Shilohi says, just before Hamapil, you created the human on this world and you breathed in him a spirit of life. The man Yakir He should recognize your greatness and your glory. So I saw again this God and was thinking that's that's interesting. And so now it, it, it reminded me of the postuk in in Esther in Megillah Esther, right at the beginning, Bahar as when Hachach is celebrating and showing the, the glory of his um of his kingdom as he Again, the glory of, his, of the, the, uh, his his kingdom, his greatness, and he had the celebration for 180 days, which is a half a year. Um, so on the, here again, you got Tiferes Gedulose. So coming together, Tiferes and Gedulose. On this, this is my attempted uh, explanation. On this, the um, we have here the Mechir Yayin, is a commentary on the Megillah written by the Ramo, the one who'd written the commentary on the Shukhanaruch to update it to Minak Ashkenaz. He also wrote a Pirush. He was a Makubul as well as a Halachist. And he wrote a Pirush on the Megillah called Mechir So here he looks at these various titles of Oysheh, Kvuit, Machussoi, Tiferens, And he says the following. We have in the Posuk and Yirmiyot. That, that the the um, that the wise person should not boast because of his wisdom, and the chokom should not be proud with his uh, sorry, the, and the oish the the and haoshir you got these qualities, you got wisdom, knowledge, you got wealth, you got strength. That's not the real mile The real mile is connecting with Hashem. So what I'm su- suggesting here is that had it just written in the as it was actually in the older, very old versions, it had just But greatness can be greatness in our, it being, greatness in wealth, uh, in expense, and we are appealing to Hashem's greatness, which is a greater greatness than just a quantifiable greatness, in space or in, in strength. We're talking about the true myla, uh, a, a the greatness of Hashem, and therefore we want to say it's besifartecha, your glory, which is kind of descriptive, defining the Godlocha. We mean a Godlocha which is a trutif eres, not just a Godlocha which is a, a physical power um, or, or, or or some quantifiable power. If someone has a better me or I'm always happy to listen. Here's a practical question, a very Christian um, question. A couple of girls live uh, in, um, let's say, in and they are got coming home uh, for, to spend Yomdu with their parents, so their apartment's going to be vacant. And so they put up a little notice somewhere that apartment for rent and for over circus. And a couple from overseas call them and yes, we are interested, agree a price, and then they had reserved that they're going to rent this apartment, this flat in Yer over Yomton. Erev Sukkus, they get a call, these girls get a call from the prospective tenant and says, I'm sorry, um, my husband's not feeling so well, and we're not sure whether we're going to be able to take it, and then Chalamoyed, they confirm that due to illness is not able to take it. And so here's the question. they're asking are they are they entitled to payment for the rental, which was never realized? This is really their question. So here we have uh, the, i I did find this directly uh, addressed, and there's a safer, a contemporary safer called sokhim omish or something like that. um very recent Sefer, which has very real and contemporary uh, questions in Aloha. And this was really when, with COVID, the beginning of COVID, this was a very, very common question of cancellations and deposits, etc. And so, but he, he compares it to a din in which is the, in the Mishnah in uh, Bava Metzia, When you hired workers, if you hired workers, they should come to, to, to do uh, watering a field, and they come in the morning of the when they were hired for, and they come and they see that either it's saturated or they see that it's been there's been a rain or whatever it may be, and they're not not needed. So here is the rule is if the employer did his due diligence and he came the night before and checked out the day before, and he checked that indeed it does need workers. And the next morning circumstances have changed. So here we say Ain la They can't have any claim against the employer. Or be your lassis. What did you want him to do? He did what he, he did. His due diligence. He checked out in the, uh, the night, uh, the evening before, and the fact that things changed that by the morning that was beyond his control. Um, we then the next shift talks about if you cancel and they can be, you can have a, a rehire in between or not. The kids are. What we have here, the following is that all of this, then the claim of the workers against their employer for breaking the contract, is only if it was she also, if it was through his neglect. But if there's nothing, uh, nothing of neglect, you can't fault the balabais, the employer, with neglect. So then, his breaking the contract is beyond his control and he actually is acquitted. So that's really what remains here. Had they taken the deposit, they were then it would have been a different story, perhaps. Had there been some formal agreement, what happens if you cancel, there hadn't been there. You know, not, they're not into this business, it's just they had their apartment, which they pay for rent every year, and, and they just wanted to make, to um, get, get a bit of money over the Yomtev over the, um, period. But it looks like that was my um, conclusion that they would not be entitled to any any money because the the for the failure to, to fulfill the contract was due to illness and therefore um, you can't you can't claim why didn't they um, honor the contract? Okay, let's go on to the next question, and that is. About, I know it's uh, sukkus, but okay, that's where we're coming from. And that is about making Kiddush early on the second night of sukkus. That is the question here. So, the first night of sukkus, you can't, you don't do Kiddush early. And the reason being that you can only, I think we went, went through this, you can be mekabel is sur Early, but you can't make it sukkahs early, it doesn't become sukkahs, and therefore you have the mitzvah of eating the kazais in the sukkah, just like the first night of Pesach. You have to eat a kazais and matzah after nightfall. So, the first night of sukkahs, you have to eat a kazais of bread in the sukkah after nightfall. And it is on this mitzvah that you say, Shechionu Shekhion is part of Kiddush, so you can't do Kiddush early because Shechionu then will not be associated with the mitzvah of, of, of uh, Leshev Asukah, which only starts, so to speak um fully with the confidence after nightfall. So therefore the first night that's clear. Now the problem here is the second night of sukkas. The second night of sukkas, the shekyanu is said before leshiva sukah. And that's because that term, that's our minute and many have that minute. And because of the Shachyanu is said before Leish Vasukka, so then why can't you do kiddush early and say Shachyanu? And then uh, a little bit later have um, have some khala and uh, do yoleish v'suka. This is this is kind of the discussion, and here we have the lost of the ramor in Tofres Damates. Mm-hmm. The first night, so he lived in Krakow. Does he mean just the first night, or does he mean the first nights? So here the Mishnah Brewer in the Biur Aloha discusses this, and he says possibly the he quotes from prince him. The second night, since you're saying first shachianu then sukkah, then you could do possibly kiddush earlier, and you'd say shachianu at kiddush, and you'd have your havoytzi a little bit later, well after nightfall. Then he entertains that possibly you should be allowed to even have your havoytzi during bain It's not before um, before sunset, but during twilight, you should be allowed to, just like sviras to is many communities will do the reason being, and we have a rule, a sophic We take the lenient view, so okay, just like sophic um is the cooler, and therefore you can do during and so you can do during twilight. So, the same thing the second night of Sukkot which is the mitzvah is, second day of Yom Tov is clearly only a the Therefore, you should be allowed to fulfill the mitzvah of eating the first gazayis, so to speak, after nightfall, that for after sunset should be enough. That is one way of looking at it. The Then the Mishmur says the other way, that I'm not so sure about that, because Sviya is entirely the Rabbonu. Every day is the Rabbonu. Perhaps the idea of eating a sukkah, the first night, the first night's day rice. So therefore, perhaps the second night shouldn't be different to the first night. So really, there's a, the Mr. Bruce struggles with this. And it looks like the bottom line is that one should um, make a point of having the, the beginning of the meal, the first kazais of challah uh, of, of should be after nightfall, the second night of Sukkot also. And as a result, there's no point in making kiddush much earlier because most of us are kind of programmed that as soon as we've eaten, as soon as we've made, we made Kiddush, we expect to be able to eat challah right away. Let's go on to the next question. Um, that is, I I, uh, I got a WhatsApp before Simchas Torah before, uh, on Hoshan on, on Arabe, and it was a list of pointers uh, for a running a successful Simchas Torah. It was written in Ivrit, Says so gear primarily to uh, Hebrew speaking uh, community. it doesn't matter. O- overall, the points I think were very, very good points, uh, points about singing and zin. But one of the things which he wrote there is about having Lachayim in the shul whilst you're having hakafas. Okay. Um, but then he goes into a bit more detail of having a bottle of Lachaim on the bimah. And if you're worried that the velvet cover will get ruined by the spilt lachaim, so then he recommends you get a plastic cover over the over the velvet. Okay, so this bothered me a little bit. Whether this is legitimate stuff to be uh, to be putting a bottle of vodka on a, a shulchan on the on the where you place the sefer Torah. Uh, I yesterday morning I had posted these questions uh, and. Um, and the Hebrew session, uh, uh, Hebrew Hebrew Ashir, uh, and one shaliach sent me that twenty years ago they had received a newspaper Torah, look for Rosh Hashanah, and on Simchas Torah the Sefer Torah was on the business by day obviously, and people were saying l'chaim, and someone was holding a glass of vodka and someone pushed him somehow. And don't ask why that happened, but it was Simchas Torah, and sadly the liquid, the vodka, landed on the open servitorium and it actually ruined several columns of the writing. And since then they've made a, a, an amendment, a bylaw, that they don't have any mashka anywhere near the open servitorium, which I think is, makes perfect sense. But we're coming back to the question, is it legitimate to put down a bottle of vodka on the bimmer? Uh, by extension, I once put down my hat at, on the bimah, and I think it was Rimbulla Libra of Allah Shalom who pointed out to me that it's not appropriate. You don't put your hat on the bimah. So let's read this inside the Shukhanar. This is Simun Kufnun Dalet, talks about the Oroin and the various appurtenances for the sifatoida. You could make a tsnai, a condition, a proviso that they should, you should be permitted to do other things other than just the sacred use for Sephiroth, and in indeed, there are more ads. It's customary to do various things with the, the, the things in the, in the shul, the um, the covers for the uh, Sforim and the etc. And the reason why people are lenient is because since it's become so widespread that we people will use the bima a uh, cover for other things. And it's ef so shall you can't expect the people to be totally um, careful about this. So lay based in masna in meikara. It's as if there's been a clause that this should be permitted. So that but it's not a total kadusha. So this explains why, for example, in many shuls, well, certainly Sidurim and uh, you know, not just are put on the Bimma, but even the tsudoka pushkas, soccer boxes, they're all, they're not sacred as such, but since that's they are they are there in the shul for encouraging mitzvah tzedakah, et etc. So it's common that they are put on the on the tibimah, and so that's that's legitimate because of lay based in masna. The bura quotes the El Yaraba. So here we have at the bottom of the screen we've got the El Yaraba, who um writes the following: that that permission to use the bima, etc., for other things, is a doichek. It's has under duress, we've found this, this uh, header. And then he adds, Those kind of uses, which is well known that people take the liberty of using the bima for, that you can do. But that which is not common practice to use the bima for, you may not use the bimah for, um, because of the Kedusha. So you, although there is a, a tanai, so to speak, it's not totally kadush but still to use it for not, not the regular uses, so then you wouldn't be allowed to. That, so on that basis, to put your hat down on the bimah is not appropriate. Um, it's, besides, just not Deir Kheret, but it's also because it's got a Kedusha. And similarly, the bottle of mashke and the vodka, as sacred as vodka on the and, uh, on the simchas Torah may be, but it doesn't justify having it on the bima because of the kedusha of, of the bima for what it's designated for. Okay, let's now go on to another simchas Torah question, and here's the other end of the spectrum. Here we talked that the chaim was obviously only for adults. Um, but here we're talking about inflatable Torah for children. They used to have these cloth cuddly Torah. In my age, we used to have you know, printed sifritura when she would roll back and forth. And um, what's become more popular, these cuddly ones. But of late, there's a new innovation, and they are inflatable plastic Torah. So uh, I know of a shliach who bought about 100 of them to give out to the children who are coming to Hakofas, beautiful, and well, 100 inflatable ones means they have to be inflated somehow. Are you allowed to inflate those things on Yomt? Shabbos or Yomt? So this also will uh, include various inflatables. Let's say an inflatable mattress, um, a ball, a balloon. So balloons are usually tied with a knot and therefore that's out of the question you can't tie a knot there are ways of doing balloons without making a knot you can there's like the twisty around a stick uh, end special sticks for supporting balloons would you be allowed to blow up such a balloon so there could be an argument it is kind of a tikkunkeli the balloon is made to entertain in its full blown out form and when it's just a little squashy thing um in a bag so then it's it's not fulfilling its purpose so you've kind of brought it to its schlemus so there is an argument not to uh, blow up balloons on on uh shabbos and yom to even the, beyond the question of tying a knot what here you have in simmons sheen mem in the piscate shuvas he the last paragraph if on the screen he says i want to dif- draw a distinction there are the inflatables which are just inflatables and then you Un- deflate them and you put them back and there are those inflatables which are for a long usually for a prolonged period and so to inflate something which is just for the few minutes whilst you're playing and then you're going to deflate it that would be okay that's not called tic whereas the kind of inflatable which you would keep inflated for a prolonged period then that should be seen as a tic it's like he mentions here in the context about putting stuffing um, feathers or other stuffing into a cushion. Would that be allowed on Shabbos? Your cushion here is a pillowcase of sorts, and it's not usable as a pillow. And now by stuffing the stuffing, you're making it into a, a usable pillow. So it's a Tikkenkeli. You're, you're fixing up something, a, a usable item. And so similarly, I guess, so with a, uh, a mattress or something like that. Um, might be a problem of chicken kaylee. okay that's that let's go on to the next thing which is i found something surprising this week and that is about folding serviettes or american napkins into uh, let's say the shape of a bird or something so we all know what the word origami is and that is like folding paper into shape of a ship shape of a boat or of a hat or etc and this is, there is discussion about, and that's what the Shemil Shabbos Gilchosa says in the lower quote, not to make toys out of boy pub folding paper like a boat or a hat, because it's like making a kale. But in the earlier quote, which is Perik Lamad sorry, Perik Yud Alev, so he writes that you should not fold serviettes in a particular shape as one would do for hosting guests. You can fold them just plain, but not to form something like this is a bird or something. That's what he seems to be saying. He's quoting, you Kuf Samargimo in the note, he's quoting from Rav Euerbach, uh, Rav Shema Alman. he says, folding in the form of a bird or something is like you're constructing a bird. Um, now here's quite interesting that Rab, uh, Rabbi Yukosil disagrees with this psalm, and he says that boine, the term boine means taking various components and bringing them together. That's what a building is. You take bricks and you stick them together and you have a structure. Uh, making plants, taking strands of hair and creating a structure is Boine. Making cheese, you take particles, the milk solids, you mass them together and you created a block of cheese but to take a piece of paper and fold it where there's no boiner there are you going to say that it's like you're taking kelly you're making a Kaylee? so he says since it's going to it's not going to be last it's going to be put at the table and five minutes after the people have sat down they're going to be they're going to be dismantled they're going to be just using for wiping their hands etc because it's so short term he says it is okay so i found that surprising but it's good to share um, you know, interesting an interesting psalm. So, is actually Mahmur on this, and Rav Kuforkash, um, in a very respectful way, but disagrees. He says it is okay. Um, question number seven, and that is I've been asked what's the significance of the barcode on our Chabad Talaysim have got particular type of stripes, um, different to, but actually, I, I was tempted. I was, you might find this funny, but I was tempted to take a Lubavitcher Talis into a store, into a shop, and ask them to scan it with their barcode and to see what numbers it comes up with. Um, I didn't get round to that. And um, if anyone does, I <laughs> dare you <laughs> and tell me what results you come up with. But meanwhile, what is the, the, the background to the particular Chabad style is... Actually, a Munkacha style, and the Rebbe Rashab apparently at one stage had gotten a Munkacha talus and he liked it, and that's how it became the Lubavitch style. Well, actually, it's not nothing nothing specifically Lubavitch about it, um, other than you know it's been adopted for the last century approximately. The general minig of having stripes on the tiles, black stripes. So, here we have. on on the screen from Rabbi Yochanan Gurari's sefer called Tzitzes HaLoch and he says, there are those who have a custom to color the edge of the talus, Zechel HaTcheles, to a commemoration for the talus, which the talus had a uh, remembrance, like a reminder of the sky, and therefore the talus is presumed to be blue, or some do a, a black colour. And then in, in the notes, there's a lot of discussion what exactly is the colour of Thelis. Although we normally think it's blue, some have a, have different, there's different versions about this. And so the basically, this is the reason for the black stripes on Taskoton girdle. It is Um then we have there the note, then he says further, those now those who are particular that it should be totally white. With, the towel should be totally white without any other colour. Um now, in the notes, he gives a reference to the memoirs of the late Reb Yudel Rabbi Rabbi was got married around 1924 in communist Russia and he needed to get hold of a talus. And where he was, there was no talisim available. And he writes how he wrote a letter to Dubrovna he was involved in money fundraising for the Yeshiva at the time, and so he there was a contact in Dubrovna. And he knew that back in the day of the Semaredek,maredek had a colleague called Reb Fradkin, who was known more more well known as Divrei Nehemyo. And he was not a Rov. He declined to be a Rov. Instead, he was a fabricant. Of Thalesim. He was a manufacturer at a factory in Dubrovna making Thalesim. So Rabbi Khitrik, many years after Rabbi Chemyad um, Fratkin's times, writes a letter to Dubrovna and he asks, is there still a factory of Thalesim in Dubrovna? And if there is, am I able to ask you to can I buy a Thalesim and you can send it to me? The fellow, who, his contact, who was like the Gabba Stalker in Dubrovna, rides back, yes, indeed there is. And um, I actually run that factory. Unfortunately, we've run out of black thread. And so the Talism which we're producing now are just white. But I'd like to reassure you that there's a very prominent Rav in Yakaterinoslav, or I'm not sure whether it's in Petrovsk, that's Rebelevi Levi son, the Rebbe's father, he didn't say that I father at the time, this is 1924. He says there is, there, there, he's uh, uh, very respected. And he actually, in the, back in the day, had asked me Dafka to, to make a talus only white without any black stripes because our uh, will There's no need for any of those black stripes. The talus should be all white. And so don't feel bad, I'll send you just a white talus. So that's quite interesting that Blavik was um, particular, that the talis shouldn't have any black stripes. We know that Svardim, Svardim chartalesin tend to be just plain white. We know that there are those who have blue stripes. I'm talking about Ashkenazim um, have the blue stripes. It makes more sense of zechelet Okay, one more point about that. Uh, the Rebbe, when he wore his talus, would kind of um, roll in the sides of the talus onto his shoulder. Rather than rolling the talus in a way outwards, so to speak, where the black stripes would be visible, they were more rolled in, in that way that the black stripes were less visible. From the back, for sure, you couldn't see any any black stripes. And they, uh, you know, those who know everything would say that the Rebbe would do so for the reason of um, that, to follow his father's preference The towels should all be all white so by rolling the black out of sight so it's all white okay let's go on to the next question and someone asked me uh this past week that he noticed that during yomtu we in the davening we say when it comes and that the sorry Also in benching, Um, um, we say um, it comes Chol so in Yala V'Yovoy, both in benching and in davening, it's just B'yom Chag HaSukres Haseh, and Yom Mikro is dropped. Whereas in Musaf, during Chol we say chakas azeh, mikro kodesh Not yoyim toim, yoyim, yoyim mikro kodesh So is cholamoid Mikro kodesh, or is it not Mikro kodesh? This is the question which he was asking, and I was happy to be able to answer. I, I remember years ago, the late Rav Ashkenazi of Fahabad had written about this, and he points to this Seif in the beginning of Hilchus Shabbos. In the Altarebbis and Mem What is it? What well, he says here, let's read this. We have a, a few minutes. Let's read it carefully. Um, we've got two two requirements for Shabbos stipulated in the Devium, and that's the idea of Kovoid and Oineg, as it says for Korosol, the Shabbos, o, last Shabbos, Oineg, let's say Hashem, and but Ikrominatoire. It says, Hashem, the day which is holy for Hashem, which is sacred to Hashem. And then he says, is bichlal kodesh. Shabbos is included in the term mikroi kodesh. As we have the post Vayim shabbos shabbos mikro kodesh. What does mikro kodesh mean? The postul in Isaiah, which we mentioned before. What does it mean mikro koydosh? So, Pirshu to sanctify the Shabbos, to honor the Shabbos with clean clothes, and to, and right, so that's one, one meaning of mikro koidesh, to honor the, this, this day with clean clothes, etc. But yes, Oimrim, and there are those who say no, mikro koidesh refers to Isur asiyas melokha. The sacredness of mikro koidesh means that not to do maloch on that day. So now there's two we got these two meanings of Mikra kodesh And now the question is is called mikra kodesh Uh I'm sorry I didn't um review this all the all these details um properly before this year. Um so but here the, the Altareb in note zain he this idea of Mikro Kodesh, he refers to the Sefer HaKhino, and he says, Cholamoyed mm-hmm. is not referred to as Mikro Kodesh, it's, it's Koru Mikro Kodesh, there's a whole people in the Gemara Chagiga there, in relation to carbonus, Cholamoyed is called Mikro Kodesh, but as a day of, of being uh, uh, sanctified, certainly Isu that that doesn't, that, that's not true for Chalamoyed. melacha. all right, some melochas are permitted. It's not like Shabbos and Tov. So the full Mikra Kodesh does not apply to Chalamoyed, only in the context of Karbanas. I remember discussing with Rav Shkal and Ashkenazi, what do you mean by for Karbanas? And the way he understood was that Mikra Kodesh means you call people to gather around for this special occasion. And the idea of gathering people in honor of the Karbanas. So. Whereas other days perhaps not, but on Yom where the Yom is called Mikra Khoidesh. So for the Korban, there would be an emphasis of getting a crowd of people to be present at those Korbans. So therefore, to conclude our point here, the concept of Mikra Khoidesh on Khalamoyed is only in the context of Korbans, which now explains why in Musaf, which is commemorating the extra Korbanis of the of the Khala of, of the Moed, which is Khalamoid also. Therefore, in Musef, it's called Yomir But at Benching or at the other three min that, that's not a, they are not associated with the Korbanis. Khalamoid is not called Mikro in that context. So that's I think I think fairly clear, uh, um, very brief, but I think very clear that Khalamoid is only Mikrokoidesh in relation to. Karbonus, and therefore Mikrochodesh is only mentioned at Mus'af in Cholomad. Okay, let's go on. So someone writes to me just yesterday. He asks me, why is it that on Rosh was it yesterday, Was it was two days ago, whatever. Uh, he writes to me, why is it that on Rosh Chodesh, well, we have a rearrangement of the sequence of davening, where we normally, on a regular weekday, it's Ashri Yovolotzi and then Shir Shelyoim. On Rosh Chodesh, right after Halil, we say Shir Shelyoim. And after Kriya Ashri Yovolotzi, and then we go into Muslim. But that wasn't his main question. His main question was about why is Beis Yaakov, of HaShem Kenu, and Shira Hamad HaShel David, why are those items dropped on Rosh Chaydesh. So, the change of sequence, I told him there's actually a fascinating letter of the Rebbe. This is in Igris Chalik Base and published various other places, where the Rebbe compares, goes through the Seder of Davening, Alpit Halokha, and Pikabola, and he explains very carefully, um, clearly, why the Alto Rebbe put Shir where he put it. As you know, that Mnusrach Ashkenaz have Shir <laughs> after Darwin, totally, whatever. And it's going, that's all up. halokhan pika But meanwhile, let's keep to the one question. Why is Beis Yaakov uh, missed out on Rosh Haydash? And I pointed out to him that also on Tishabov, B'Av, where uh, at Mincha, before Mincha, we make up for the pieces missed at Shachris. So we say Shir and we say kave, but we do not say, it's not spelled out, and we don't, don't say Beis Yaakov when we resume um, the, the davening on Tisha at, at Mincha. And what I told him is that, look at those words, Beis Yaakov l'chuv bo'er Hashem. Let's go in the light of Hashem, all the other nations. Each one goes in the name of their God, and we go out in the name of Hashem. May Hashem be with us, as He was with our forefathers shouldn't neglect us um etc and so the way i felt is that the these pieces are being said as we're nearing the end of doubting we're about to go out that's also why olayna l'shabayach is said at the end of dawning before we go out to the street we acknowledge that we are the Abish's children and olayna l'shabayach and we're not like they got goyarotsis that's, by the way, why the Goim actually hated the Oleyn al-Shaber. As you may know, there were times where there was decrees decrease to, uh, to stop saying Oleyn al-Shaber. whole story in, in, with the Balshemtiv, with the Ribchaim uh, Hakoyin Rappaport. At any rate, so this is a similar vein. You're about to go out. So you're saying Beziyak, you're saying Beziyak. You're, you're not ready to go out yet. You still have Musaf ahead. And as therefore, you don't say those, those pieces. Similarly on Tisha B'od, when when you you're just starting your resumption of davening, so it's not you're not going out so there's no point in saying You're not going anywhere. You're actually going to stay. now you're going to put on, a you know, your Rashi's and the daven uh, You know, the daven mincha, etc. You're not going anywhere. That's the way I answered him. I took out the Shara Qolong was slightly different. He says it's a slightly different idea. He says that these prayers are um, he says that they are to to that your filler should be accepted. You're finishing off the davening, and it's a filler that your filler should be accepted. So, again, it's the same idea that it's your ending davening. So, because those they're at the end of davening, that's why they are said when they are when is said earlier on, says so it's not the end of davening, that's why those three pieces are dropped. Okay. Um, Let's go on here, and here we have a. I got a question just yesterday, and that is that a child was involved in a car accident, and Baruch Hashem, no, was not harmed. And does the child have to say Birchas Hagoyim? So here we have from the altar Rebbe's Sefer Birchas and he says. So the question was whether the child should say Birchas Should the father say Birchas Hagoyim? So here we have a clear um, psaq, that a koton ain't sorich lehoidois, a child does not say birchas ha-goimel, afilu higiyah le chinuch mitzvah, even if it's old enough for chinuch to say brachas, still should not say birchas uh, ha The reason for this is because the, pos- the brach is saying, ha-goimel lechayovim toipas, is giving those who are culpable, he gave him good a child is not culpable a child is not hired and therefore there's no point in him saying I go in then there's a further aspect that a child if has was shown, there's a tragedy with a child sometimes it's got to do with the parent it says in some places that, that sometimes a parent is punished and and it's the and the, it's, it, it's through the child's suffering um and therefore that's another argument if the child would say who says perhaps what happened to you the trauma which you went through that wasn't because it was a, it was a, your parents account which unfortunately you were paying and therefore those are the arguments uh, about not, not saying um why should the father not be saying well simply on the other hand, there is this idea of thanksgiving is, should be personal. The person himself who had the uh, trauma should be the one who should be saying the thanks. And someone else would not be able to say that they are, you know, they, 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 they're the chayovim. And, and as a result, what we, we don't find delegating, the birchas we don't find, certainly not in, in our circles, about delegating. I have heard in some yeshivas... It comes the beginning of this man, and all the Bacharim who come from overseas all want to say, I said, but yeshiva 400 Bacharim, it can take an hour for everyone to say. So, in some yeshivas, they have that one Bachar says on behalf of everyone. Other poskim not, are not happy with that at all. And they're saying that no, it has to be that each person has to say their own agaimel. thanking through someone else is not adequate. You should be actually thanking um, on your own. Um finish off, you can hear the music outside, so I'm going to try bimakatser, and that is about saying um at mm-hmm. havdola. The way I left it last week was that in the Rishimas, it looks like the heter of saying leishe at havdola is associated with the fact that they were going to eat shortly afterwards. And that was how it was in the Rishimas from Tzadik Allah, from Tzadik Zion, etc., but then someone pointed out to me that I remember this myself that uh, I think it was Toph Shim Mem Gimel, I think it was that year. And at the end of Maydiv, at the end of what it was, the second night of Yom Tov, and there was a surprise in 770 downstairs, right? West, and we're near the front, and suddenly we hear a very loud voice. there was a rebuttal kill all of and what they did behind the Rebbe's place by the Fabergé, there are those colored windows, uh, horizontal slats, and they took out one of those units where the air conditioners were, somewhere around there, and they built a small sukkah at the back of the at the show, and Rabbi Keller had such a powerful voice that he was able to say "Abdullah" in the sukkah at the back of seven seventy, you could hear him clear clearly all the way at the front. It was like a quite a novelty at the time, and apparently, well, he did apparently. The Rebbe had once asked why didn't he say that's what I'm, I'm told. That this is all hearsay, and uh, subsequently, he would say also. Here we have in the Oitzim and Hogi Chabad in Tovshin Dalit, Sholm Chaskin is saying that the Rebbe, the Freyedic Rebbe, said to say, He doesn't talk about whether with a meal or not. And Rabbi Monshine, he also says that the Rebbe, in when he saw Tovshin Khoftes told people to say, Um. And um, let him um, to say Leisha Basuka at Havdol. again. I don't know whether it was near a meal or not, and who it was, I don't know the details. So I, I'm I'm left with a little interesting dilemma. How did this how did this morph? If in the Tzaddiks in the uh, 1930s the, this was seen to be associated Dafka with a subsequent meal, how did it then morph to uh, with the confidence you say Leisha Basuka, at half dollar, even when there's no meal associated. I don't know how that developed, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And meanwhile, I'm going to wish you a good night, a guten Shabbos, and uh, a gute Chodesh, and a gute sachen, and we should meet in good health. Um, next week, uh, this is important, next week, we change the clock, this Motza Shabbos, apparently. Mm-hmm. And so next week, I want to switch to the Motza Shabbos slot instead of Thursday night, to have the shi and Motzah Shabbos. And uh, I hope that's going to be okay with with you and with, um, I hopeful, hopefully more people. I will be out of the country, so I hope to be able to, I'm, and I would like to do at 7.30 rather than 8.30 to allow the rest, the rest of the evening to do other activities. Um, I'll keep you posted, Bez Hashem, closer to the time. And so I wish you all a good Shabbos as I